official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. As uh, Tasha mentioned, today is the first Sunday of Lent. Um, We're not a very liturgical church. Um, So for those of you who aren't familiar with Lent, the Lent is a season in the historical church calendar when the church, a group of followers of Jesus, focus on the themes of repentance. Typically, they incorporate the practice of fasting into their lives. And it's not launched on a Sunday. It's actually launched on a Wednesday. So how many of you were able to attend um, the collaborative Ash Wednesday service this past week? Okay, so a group of you were able to attend something we do every year, one of the liturgical moments of our our church participation throughout the year. So we get to gather with other churches from the Burlington area, Vermont area, um, and reflect on um, the beginning of Lent, where we begin to focus on uh, the brokenness of humanity in our world and repentance and... um, consider what it would look like to fast as a community as well. And so some people choose something like social media or gummy bears to fast, right? And some other people incorporate fasting in other ways. And we're actually beginning a new series today. We're going to be going through the Book of Lamentations. We're going to be spending five Sundays in the Book of Lamentations. Now, if you're anything like me, you need a page number or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you need the digital table of contents, right, to find the Book of Lamentations. And if you've read the Book of Lamentations, if you've spent any time in the Book of Lamentations, you're probably asking yourself this question right now. Why on earth would we spend five weeks in such a depressing book, right? If you've read, if you've read Lamentations, you're like, man, this is... This is kind of everything that you might be thinking, like this is everything that's wrong with uh, an ancient text like the Bible. Um, It's backwards. It's it's very depressing. Um, Or you might think of images like I do. Um, I think of images like this. I don't have projection, so I'm going analog today. And y'all won't be able to really see it because I forgot we didn't have projection. But uh, this is the 90s MTV star Daria, right? So those of you who know Daria will know uh, why I think of Daria when I think of the book of Lamentations. I spent some time on Google image search as well, looking up some emo bands. So here I have, does anyone know who this band is? They're a little little bit bigger than a band that plays, uh, yeah, My Chemical Romance, who said that? Bonus points, Angie. Okay. <laughs> the, the emo bands kind of all blend together for me. This could be like Fall Out Boy or the All-American Rejects or Good Charlotte. Y'all are taking, going down a trip on memory lane. Bright, Eye, Bright Eyes is playing here in Vermont this summer. Brand new. Any brand new fans? They're not bad. They're like emo I can tolerate. Um, and then the more universally known Eeyore, right? The, the insistently never-ceasing, depressing Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. How many of you are fans of Eeyore? Okay. Denise loves Eeyore. 
<laughs> but a question, what if lament in the book of Lam- what if we learn in the book of Lamentations that lament is a practice or an art that needs to be rediscovered? What if lament and grief aren't actions that actually separate us from hope or faith or God, but what if uh, these practices, the practice of lament, can actually deepen our faith, deepen our hope? What if these ancient, seemingly depressing poems are as relevant, as transformative, compelling as ever? Um, as I've alluded, the Book of Lamentations is actually, um, it's actually a collection of five poems. So if you open up your Bible or if you have the Version app, you'll see that there are five chapters laid out. These are actually uh, five ancient Hebrew poems. So the Book of Lamentations is a collection of five poems. There's somewhat of an arc to the poems. There's a structure. Um, and each chapter is a separate poem. And so this Sunday, we're going to be looking at poem one. And we're introduced to the first character, the narrator, in verses 1 through 9. Oh, 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 how empty the city, once teeming with people. A widow, this city, once in the front rank of nations, once queen of the ball, she's now a drudge in the kitchen. She cries herself to sleep each night, tears soaking her pillow. No one's left among her lovers to sit and hold her hand. Her friends have all dumped her. After years of pain and hard labor, Judah has gone into exile. She camps out among the nations, never feels at home. Hunted by all, she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Zion's roads weep, empty of pilgrims headed to the feasts. All her city gates are deserted, her priests in despair. Her virgins are sad, how bitter her fate. Her enemies have become her masters. Her foes are living it up because God laid her low, punishing her repeated rebellions. Her children, prisoners of the enemy, trudge into exile. All beauty has drained from daughter Zion's face. Her princes are like deer famished for food, chased to exhaustion by hunters. Jerusalem remembers the day she lost everything. When her people fell into enemy hands and not a soul there to help. Enemies looked on and laughed, laughed at her helpless silence. Jerusalem, who outsinned the whole world, is an outcast. All who admired her despise her now that they see beneath the surface. Miserable, she groans and turns away in shame. She played fast and loose with life. She never considered tomorrow. And now she's crashed royally with no one to hold her hand. And so the narrator is the first to speak. It's the first poetic character we're introduced to. So throughout these poems, we're introduced to a few different characters. And so here in the first nine verses, we hear from the narrator. And we don't hear from the second character yet, but we're introduced to her in these first nine verses. She's the city of Jerusalem personified, referred to as a princess or or in other places throughout these poems, a grieving widow, daughter Zion, or Lady Jerusalem. And so a little bit of a background information to the book of Lamentations is that this book, this series of five poems, they are written in the aftermath of the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. This took place around 586 BC. 
And if you want to read a little bit about the historical account of that, you can turn to 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25. You can read a little bit about the destruction of Jerusalem. But uh, the, the context of these five lament poems is that Babylon has absolutely crushed Jerusalem. The city has been devastatingly destroyed. It's just been absolutely smashed to pieces. How many of you have seen uh, the movie The Pianist featuring Adrian Brody, right? There's this scene in, in Warsaw where he emerges out of hiding after a German shelling of the city and the, he sees for the first time the city just absolutely destroyed. Or, or I'm sure many of us remember uh, film or footage or even watching live um, the Twin Towers come down on 9-11, right? And just where they once stood, they are no longer there. The Hebrew name or title of these collection of poems, this book, the Hebrew name is the Hebrew word Ika. Say it with me, Ika. Ika, the word itself, it kind of has this like onomatopoeia quality to it, like this guttural sigh, like aka, like uh, like when we get into like a car accident or we drop a glass on the floor and it breaks, there's this like aika. And this word, it means how. It means how. And so the context of this book is that there's not only loss that's being experienced according to the narrator, but Their entire world, as they knew it, has been destroyed. How could this have happened? This is the background of this book. And at the tail end of verse 9, daughter Zion speaks. And at first, she doesn't have much to say. Look at my pain, oh God, and how the enemy cruelly struts. So when she first speaks, we only get one line. The narrator continues. The enemy reached out to take all her favorite things. She watched as pagans barged into her sanctuary. Those very people for whom you posted orders keep out. This assembly off limits. All the people groaned so desperate for food, so desperate to stay alive, that they bartered their favorite things for a bit of breakfast. And so we hear from the narrator again, and he kind of continues almost as if in in like a distant or objective way, just the narrator explaining just how bad things have gotten. And when we hear from daughter Zion again, or lady Zion again, she has a bit more to say this time around. All the people groaned, so desperate for food, so desperate to stay alive that they bartered their favorite things for a bit of breakfast. Oh God, look at me, worthless, cheap, abject. And you passers-by, look at me. Have you ever seen anything like this? Ever seen pain like my pain? Seen what he did to me, what God did to me in his rage? He struck me with lightning, skewered me from head to foot, and he set traps all around so I could hardly move. He left me with nothing, left me sick and sick of living. He wove my sins into a rope and harnessed me to captivity's yoke. I'm goaded by cruel taskmasters. 
The master piled up my best soldiers in a heap and then called in thugs to break their fine young necks. The master crushed the life out of fair virgin Judah. For all this I weep, weep buckets of tears, and not a soul within miles around cares for my soul. My children are wasted. My enemy got his way. So she gets uh, a bit more vocal, right? And we're going to hear from the narrator one more time briefly. And then daughter Zion wraps up chapter one. She wraps up this chapter. And this time, you're going to hear she really goes for it. It's like the floodgates of lament and grief have been opened up. Zion reached out for help, but no one helped. God ordered Jacob's enemies to surround him. And now no one wants anything to do with Jerusalem. God has right on his side. I'm the one who did wrong. Listen, everybody, look at what I'm going through. My fair young women, my fine young men, all herded into exile. I called to my friends. They betrayed me. My priests and my leaders only looked after themselves, trying but failing to save their own skins. Oh God, look at the trouble I'm in, my stomach in knots, my heart wrecked by a life of rebellion. Massacres in the streets, starvation in the houses. Oh, listen to my groans. No one listens, no one cares. When my enemies heard of the trouble you gave me, they cheered. Bring on judgment day. Let them get what I got. Take a good look at their evil ways and give it to them. Give them what you gave me for my sins. Groaning in pain, body and soul, I've had all I can take. Can we thank our readers? Okay, now, some of you, who is ready for like a shower now, right? It's only chapter one, and we're already in the depths of depression, right? And we're going to be doing this for five weeks. I mean, if like I wanted to feel this way, I might just go home and listen to like The National or Sufjan Stevens, right? Didn't come to church for this, but I would argue that one of the reasons a book like Lamentations, one of the reasons these poems, they're so jarring, they're disturbing, is because they actually critique a part of our culture that we don't often think about. Uh, I, I would argue that we live in a culture of denial, and so lament, grief, they seem foreign and dark and depressing, but I would argue that if we were to grow in the practice of lament, we would discover that there's actually healing and freedom on the other side of it. Now, a, a couple observations about the book of Lamentations. God never speaks. He doesn't have a word to say in all five of the chapters. And when we read of the, the woman's lament, especially here in chapter one, it seems fairly chaotic and almost incoherent at times. She's ascribing the tragedy to God, but then she says, no, it's 
It's because of my sin. I'm just reaping what I've sowed. And then she blames her enemies. And then she blames those who are nearby and who could have come to her aid but didn't. It's kind of like it's all over the place. She's trying to explain why she's suffering in, in her lament. And suffering and lament, they have a, a way of manifesting in our lives, I think, that are they're spontaneous and sporadic. And what's interesting about these poems, this is the case in chapter one, but for the rest of the five poems as well, is that they're actually acrostic poems, or they they're, um, could be known as an, an alphabet poem, meaning that there are 23 verses in this chapter, and there are 23 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in each of the stanzas begins with the first letter and then the next letter and then the next letter in each subsequent line. And it's almost as if they're trying to make sense to the incoherence, the uh, sporadic, spontaneous nature of lament and grief in an ordered way. And yet it still is kind of chaotic in some way and yet it fits into this kind of structure. And I think we try to do that with suffering in our own lives as well. And another observation is there's no answers. There's no aha moment when we're provided with a neat, clean, tidy answer to why we suffer. There's no Sunday school Jesus bow in the book of Lamentations that just explains everything. And so when I bring up uh, why I would argue that we have a culture of denial, it's, uh, I'd just like to talk a little bit about what I mean when I use that phrase. Because I believe that we've been taught, at least in, in the West, most of us at a very young age, that human progress, enlightenment, that those things will eventually provide a solution to our world's brokenness. We've been taught that if you give us enough time, that eventually our ingenuity, our technology, etc., will eventually provide us with a solution to all of the world's problems. The problem is uh, we're sold this ideology, but it hasn't quite worked out, right? Right? We thought, um, black president, no more racism. We thought... 21st century, like no more barbaric violence, like the kind of violence that you only see in the Old Testament, right? We thought that, but did electing a black president for two terms eradicate racism? And it's the 21st century, is our world beyond violence? And so statistics show that White nationalism, violent acts fueled by racism, hate crimes actually show that they're increasing, not decreasing. If you want sources for that, stats on that, you can email me, ian at wellchurchvt.com, or you can grab me after the service. Um, I, or you could just Google it if you can save the email. But um, statistics show that those... Uh, that white nationalism, violent acts are fueled by racism. They're increasing, not decreasing. And I actually have observed that we're with new technology, with human ingenuity, a lot of good has come of that, right? But we are also finding all sorts of new ways to kill each other and torture each other and to uh, harm the earth as well. We live in a culture of denial. We don't know what to do with suffering and death. And the power of learning to lament is that it speaks to what our culture wants to repress. This is what we know how to do. We know how to stuff things down, to ignore it, um, to keep it bottled up. But lament, 
speaks openly, directly about suffering, heartache, death. Lament is naming and speaking the elephant in the room, right? That we all know is there, but we're not equipped to do this. We live in a culture that encourages us to do everything we can to keep silent about suffering, grief, death. And that's why this book, I think, is so jarring to us. But maybe that's why this book is actually as relevant, compelling, transformative as ever, because it teaches, it could teach us a path to learning to lament. And there's a health that comes from learning to lament. In poem one, we hear the primary plea of Lady Zion, the city of Jerusalem, personified. We hear it in different places in different ways, but I'll just read again verse 12. This is Lady Zion pleading out. And passerby, look at me. Have you ever seen anything like this? Ever seen pain like my pain? Have you ever seen pain like my pain? This woman's urgent need is for someone to listen and hear and see. And her lament has this like angst to it, right? There's this angst to it. Uh, In the black community, you'll hear names like this. Trayvon Martin, Botham Jean, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice. They all have something in common. They were killed because of the color of their skin. I'm going to read a line from Jay-Z's song, Spiritual. He says, I'm not poison. No, I'm not poison. Just a boy from the hood that got my hands in the air in despair. Don't shoot. This is a line from an artist named Lecrae from a, a song called Can't Stop Me Now. He said, spoke my mind. I got attacked for it. Thought those people had my back, boy. Now they're telling me I asked for it. I guess I'm just another black boy. And then they killed Tamir Rice, and they just go on with their life. They tell me I should just shut up talking about it, that I should just talk about Christ, right? That's Lecrae's known as a Christian rapper in the Christian community, right? And the moment he speaks up, the moment he begins to voice lament, it might seem angry, right? Because in some ways, lament can manifest its way in anger. But I would argue that it's, it's... It comes from this urgent desire and need to be seen, to be heard, to be listened to. And that's why you'll hear those names in the black community, because they want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want their pain, their agony as a community to be seen. And so often the bass is loud, right? Because it's a lament and no one is listening. So what? We're going to turn it up louder, right? We're going to turn it up louder. Uh, Rob Bell says this, your ability to listen to the pain and suffering of others is directly related and proportional with how thoroughly you have dealt with your own pain and suffering. I'll, I'll read that again. Your ability to listen to the pain and suffering of others is directly related and proportional with how thoroughly you have dealt with your own pain and suffering. And I I would argue that we need to learn how to do this not only individually, but also corporately. And so the church and the white church, to be exact, needs to learn how to name and acknowledge and listen to the ways we have contributed to a history and a system 
that's led to racial injustice, oppression, and violence. Amen. And so maybe the lament, maybe the base seems unsettling to, to some of us. It, maybe it's because we haven't learned how to listen to what could be a modern day lament. These ancient poems, they display the power of lament. It's not easy, it's not neat, it's often chaotic and painful. But I'd ask you to just think about the moments you've experienced suffering in your own life and those moments when someone else has listened, when someone has seen you, when someone has heard you. Um, some of you know a bit of the suffering that our families experienced over the past few years. And there are a couple instances that shaped our family um, of, of suffering and grief and, and shaped my wife significantly as well, specifically um, the death of both of her parents a couple years apart within the past uh, few years. And um, I know through talking with Luann that uh, there are moments, uh, actually, sorry, let me rewind one step back. Uh, several weeks after, I believe it was the death of my wife's father, um, I had a conversation with Luann after church one Sunday, and someone had asked her this question, how are you doing since the death of your, of your father? Simple question, and when we were having a conversation, she was tearing up with me about it, and, and when she was expressing why she was tearing it up, it wasn't because she was feeling particularly emotional about her father's death, it was because she felt seen and heard and listened to. And she said this to me, and it just kind of like, it hit me really hard. She said, that's the first time someone has asked me that in weeks at church, a place where she expected to hear it more often than not. And she didn't want sympathy. She didn't want to even necessarily have a conversation with everyone about it, but just had the urgent need to be seen and heard and listened to. And it's not a critique on all of you, because a lot of you are new, right? <laughs> so, um, and uh, I, I bring that up not to make anyone feel bad who might have not spoken to, to Luann about that, but um, I bring that up for a few reasons. Not to criticize anyone, but I wanted to highlight that this cultural framework, this culture of denial, repression that I've been talking about, Luann's story, it's a case study in what I'm trying to talk about. I, I don't think we have the tools to have those types of conversations. We live in a culture of denial. But more importantly, uh, why I bring up that story is I wanted to highlight that it wasn't an answer, it wasn't an encouragement or the right words um, that we need in our suffering. It's often just seeing and listening and noticing and speaking um, of the pain. It's just, that's what they need. It's, that's all Luann wanted, someone to acknowledge the pain she was experiencing. And if you have experienced pain or suffering, maybe uh, one or two or three of us in the room, right? Um, how many times are we just looking for someone to say, you know what, that just must be so difficult what you're going through. It's the only words we're looking for often. Now, um, the, the third reason I bring up that point is because this is something you've likely known if you've been a part of our church for some time and have experienced suffering is that, um, and something I've observed in Luann, is that she knows how to lament and grieve with others. 
She's not afraid to bring it up or speak about it. She's learned in her own lament how to stand alongside others in their suffering. Uh, a few months ago, my, my grandfather died, and I didn't have the words to really express sympathy to my grandmother. And so I kept on telling myself, I'm like, man, I'm going to write her a, a, a letter saying I'm sorry and um, sending my sympathy and my love to her. And I kept putting it off and for different reasons. And one of the reasons I put off writing letters to people is because my penmanship is really bad, right? So I was like, I can't write my grandmother a letter. And then Luann did something. She just wrote the card for me from our family um, as I kept on putting it out. And she learned what Rob all said, your ability to listen to the pain and suffering of others is directly related and proportional with how thoroughly you have dealt with your own pain and suffering. And so I bring that up because my brothers and sisters, I am still learning the art of lament, the art of, of lament. Um, how many of you this past Monday watched uh, Kobe and Gianna's memorial service, Staple Center? So a few of you, um, and I'm sure that most of you are aware of uh, that tragedy. And there's kind of been this out pouring of grief. We're seeing Kobe and Gianna murals kind of pop up around cities all over the U.S. Um, actually, beautiful murals. I wish I had a projector so I could show you some of them. Um, and there's been this outpouring of grief for Kobe and his, and his daughter Gianna and also the others who died in, in the January helicopter crash. It's been massive, right? And there's also like a critique that comes along with that. I spend some time on Twitter and people are like, why is there so much grief and mourning when celebrities die? And I actually would say that I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think that seeing the tremendous outpouring of grief um, speaks to the reality that we live in a culture of denial. Because we have all of this stuff inside of us, and we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to work it out. And so when something like the death of Kobe and Gianna, we latch onto it to become a surrogate almost for our own lament, for our own pain, for our own suffering. It helps us tap into that pain, that suffering that we might have within ourselves, even if it's kind of a surrogate, almost a fake way to our own suffering. Uh, Pete Rollins, uh, Irish philosopher, says this, in tapping into the suffering of another, we can tap into the reservoirs of our own suffering. And so it's fine, it's healthy actually to grieve in the situations, but we need to ask if we need to more directly address our pain and suffering. Remember, it's a process. We noticed when the, when the woman speaks, right, at first it's one line, and then a bit more, and then more grief begins to flow out of her, right? And so when we begin to speak it, we begin to heal. Uh, theologian Kathleen O'Connor says this. Lamentation names what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, what keeps human beings from thriving in all their creative potential. Simple acts of lament expose these conditions, name them, and open them to grief and anger and make them visible for remedy. Lament is taking what's in the dark into the light. And as Kathleen O'Connor so beautifully puts it, makes them visible for remedy. And so this is why I'm actually glad we're going through lamentation during Lent as we head towards 
Resurrection Sunday. It's in the hope that we were able to learn together a bit more about lament and grief, not to become a perpetual Daria or Eeyore, right? But to have a shared space where we can learn to lament together. Because in that space, we take a step toward healing. And in that space, like we do throughout the season of Lent, we take a step toward resurrection. So questions as we conclude, and I'll invite the band up as well. During the season of Lent, are there things you need to lament and grieve? Are there things that you need to name? It could be something small. Um, we need to learn how to lament change in our lives. Even change that's good is a form of suffering. Uh, transition, grieve that. Things aren't the way that they used to be. Things aren't the same to the larger tragedies we experience. So in the process of learning to lament, would we ask God to reveal how we might listen and stand in solidarity with others who are suffering as a community and as individuals? What, what would it look like to be a church who listens and sees and hears? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this season where we get to learn together as a community, how to lament, how to grieve, the things uh, that we need to name in our own lives, the things that we need to name uh, as a community, corporately, uh, naming what is wrong, what we see is wrong in God's good world. God, as we continue to sing today, um, we recognize that not all of us come ready on a 52 Sundays out of 52 of the year to sing of your goodness, God, and that's okay. Um, we just ask that in this space that uh, we would learn the art of lament and we would also in the process open our hearts up, open our lives up, open our communities up uh, to be remedied, to find healing and freedom on the other side, to take a step toward resurrection. In the healing name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.